morning and welcome to High Point. I've got a little bag here that I'm just going to uh, just pick up and pull over here for a little prop, for a little some usage here. It's an older golf bag, you'll notice, but we're going to get to that in just a moment. Don't, don't, don't look with envy quite yet upon these beautiful clubs. But before we get to that, I, I, I want to just remind you that we, we're in week two of a series that we're going to be carrying through the entire summer called Baggage. We're reading through Psalm 23. And the purpose of it is not to give you a topical series per se this week or this month or over the summer, but to really give you a deep dive into the scriptures. And we are moving slow through it so that by the end of the summer, you walk away and hopefully you're walking away with a, a, a passage of scripture, an entire psalm that you know in your heart of hearts. You know what God is saying and that when you're going through a difficult time or when you're dry or when things are painful, you have a place you know you can turn to to bring hope to you in times when you feel hopeless. Many times what can happen is we, as you come to church and, 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 and we get into the scriptures, every week can be something very different. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's typically how I preach and teach. But what you don't sometimes walk away with is a mastering of, of a passage of scripture. And so you're left to do that outside of church in your own time, which you should be doing as well. Intent, but many times we don't. And so what we've seen in the American church is we've become anemic when it comes to really knowing what the Bible says. And we've become susceptible, therefore, to the lies that culture would tell us about what is true and what is right. And the way to understand what God says is to actually read and understand what God says says. Making sense? So Psalm 23 is where we are for this summer. Stand to your feet, church. We're going to take it back thousands of years old school, and we're going to stand for the reading of the word. This is how Jews would have done it back in the day. And as we read each week from Psalm 23, we're going to read this together out loud. And forgive me if the translation I'm using here is just a little bit different than yours uh, that you're seeing on the screen. It shouldn't be too different. But you guys ready? Psalm 23, 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may take a seat. Psalm 23, arguably 
outside of maybe John 3:16, the most famous passage in all of Scripture. David, the writer of Psalms or most of the Psalms, he's the one who, who put pen to paper when it came to Psalm 23. He's the one who wrote it. The poet warrior, the shepherd, the shepherd boy who would become king. And yet it's become for many a passage that brings them peace, especially when times are tough. So when someone is in the hospital, it's oftentimes if they have the Bible read to them, many request Psalm 23 to be read at their bedside. Many request Psalm 23 for a funeral service. Many request Psalm 23, or they put it on art and they hang it on their wall. Some people put it on their desktop, their screensaver. Sometimes people get tattoos, aspects of this put on their literal body to remind themselves of it. It's one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Pause right there. And I'm going to tell you a story this morning of a golfer. And it's going to make sense how it pertains to Psalm 23 here in just a moment. But I'm going to tie all these things together. It's, 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 we're in a series called Baggage. And some of us carry around different kinds of baggage. But here's, here's a really nice, beautiful picture of the kind of baggage that many of us carry around. Big old heavy bag with lots of stuff inside to fit the occasion. Things that you don't necessarily need to carry. If you've ever been around somebody who golfs a lot, uh, who really golfs, they got more clubs than they know what to do with. They have more clubs than they will ever use in their lifetime. My father was a golfer, an avid golfer. He was a lefty, so I didn't get to inherit any of his clubs when he passed. But he had more clubs than he knew what to do with. He had more drivers than he could ever use. I literally have some that I'm saving for like a, like a, a, a bachelor kind of, not bachelor, but the, the uh, what, what's the word? The, the man cave right? Because uh, what I want to do is actually mount some of my dad's golf clubs on the wall and kind of have a little moment, you know, to celebrate, you know, who my dad is or who my dad was. And doing research for this message as it pertains to baggage, there's a story of a golfer. His name is Jean Vandevelde. He's a Frenchman playing golf 20 years ago in the Carnoustie Open. It's in Scotland. That's right. Scotland. And there's a famous, it's a legendary golf moment because no Frenchman had won the Open since 19, let me get it for you, 07. Now, I don't pretend to be somebody who watches golf a whole lot. And to be fair, I don't really play it that much either. It's fun. But I can appreciate athletic prowess at any level. And so for me, I'm the kind of person that, even though I don't watch soccer, if there's a tremendous game or a, a tremendous moment of competition, I can get into it. 
Stanley Cup's going on. I haven't really been following much of the season, but I grew up watching the Blues, and literally tonight they could be winning the Stanley Cup for the first time in NHL history. I will be watching because I love this level of competition. It's exciting to see people play like that. And so understand that Jean Vandeveld is on the 18th hole of the car Neusti Open. He's there. This is the big, this is for all the cheese. This is for all of it. And he is ahead. And all he has to do is get a double bogey on the last hole to win it all. In other words, he could take six strokes with his golf club and still win if you know anything about golf that is what we call a big time lead okay he's got this thing in the bag with me thank you <laughs> and so what does he do you, you can youtube this by the way and i'll I, it's an, I'll be, my impersonation is going to be embarrassing but what does he do he 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 gets up to the box, the tee, and he begins to get his driver out. The biggest club he has in the bag. And you hear the commentators already saying, oh, no, I don't know about this. <laughs> this doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound like a good choice. And he pulls his driver out, and they're saying to him, this guy's going. He's, he's going for the big shot. But all he needs to do is get he has six shots to spare, and yet he's going for all the mustard right here. He's going to swing this driver as hard as he can and show the world that he is the greatest golfer in the history of the world. And the commentators, the announcers are saying, what is this guy doing? He's going to hit it, and he's going to hit it into the swamp. He's going to make the biggest mistake right here and crack under the pressure. What he needs to do is get a smaller club out and just gracefully hit it. What we call in golf, laying up, right? Don't try to go for the gold. Lay up. Take a nice ginger swing. Take out a nice another club and go for another one and lay yourself up. Get to the green. Take a few ginger putts and literally walk away a boo-billionaire for the rest of your life and go down in golf history as the first Frenchman since 1907 to win it all. So what does he do? He gets his big, hefty, big, fat daddy driver out, and he just swings back, and he uncorks this thing. And it doesn't even land on the fairway. Lands in the brush, but it's, it's safe. And so the announcers are saying, wow, you know, the golf gods are with him today. They say, and so he, you know, he gets on down there, and so the announcers are, they're, they're commentating, they're saying, okay, at this point, you know what he needs to do? He just needs, for the love of everything holy in the world, just take a pitching wedge and just lob it over there. Well, what does he do? Doesn't do that. Oh, no, he's got work to do. He's got to show the world. So he gets out his two iron. I don't even have a two iron. Gets out his two iron. Which, again, if you don't play golf, I realize you don't understand all this. That's a hefty iron. You're, you're swinging for the fences still. And what does he do? You know, gets in the spot, uncorks, and the announcers are going crazy. We can't believe it. 
we just, he needs an advisor really bad right now. Someone needs to tell this young man to calm it down. And so he hits the ball, and it goes into the stands where the people are sitting. Bounces out and lands in waist-high grass. The guy is melting down. He makes it to the ball. The announcers, they don't even know what to say at this point. They can't believe it. He's been spared yet again. And he gets out of his wedge finally, and he hits it straight into the water. Just an utter, utter breakdown. Finally gets, the, gets it out. He literally hikes his pants up to his knees. He's wading in the water trying to get the ball. I mean, he literally has what you would call an athletic just breakdown, loses all function to think clearly, and he just loses it. And guess what? He is not the first Frenchman to win the Open since 1907. He is the first Frenchman to, however, lose it all when he had a six-stroke uh, or, or when all he needed was a double bogey. Well, I sat here, and I'm preparing for this message, and obviously we can all appreciate the, 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 the story here, the, the moment that's happening, especially if you YouTube it. <laughs> Everyone here can appreciate it. But I got to thinking, how, am, how are you and I, how are you and I like Jean Vandevelt? Because there are so many times in my own life where all I needed was just a little club. I needed a, a pitching wedge, and instead, you know what I did? I'm going to prove to everybody that I have what it takes. And I uncork this thing. See, there are so many times in my own life where what was required in the moment wasn't the driver, but it was a pair of listening ears. But instead, I had to argue. I had to fight and make sure that I was known as being right. See, there are, are plenty of other situations. Let's think, like, let's think through them. All you need to do is apologize. But instead, you had to fight it out. You just weren't willing to use the wedge and have an apology, a moment of repentance and forgiveness. You had to duke it out and strap on the boxing gloves. If you're married, I'm confident that you know what this looks like. If you live with someone and have a roommate, I'm confident you know what this looks like. When you just can't let it go. All I needed to do was to listen, but instead I had to open my big mouth. All I needed was a bit of patience, but instead I had to be in control. I had to be. All I needed was to trust God with it, but instead I had to fix it myself. And my own strength, and my own power, my own ability. And so what ends up happening, rather than a giant bag of golf clubs, per se, we have a bag that looks a lot like this and is about as heavy as this, but we call it the baggage of self 
reliance. Where we do things on our own and we do it in our own strength and our own ability and in our own wisdom and we think we can come out with the same outcome or better than God's best for your life. And many times it's driven by a need for approval. It's driven by a need for people to see me, to recognize me, to, to validate me. For me to be known as dot, 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 the one who's right. The one who's got it all together. The one who's figured it out. And the baggage of self-reliance is a very heavy bag to carry around all the time. See, what happens for us, church, is that we, in our Western context, we love to put God in this little, little spot. We, we love to worship him on Sundays, don't we? We love to worship him and have our kind of safe experience with him. But then we rely on our own strength the rest of the week. Which is why when something comes up, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess I should have someone pray. But prayer is really the last resort. You've done really everything that you know to do in your own strength. And now what you'll do is you'll call your pastor. And the pastor is supposed to somehow come in and fix it. Uh-oh. Now we're preaching. Right? Or, I'll, 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 you know what, I guess, I'll, I guess I can read the Bible. I guess... I guess I should open this thing and maybe it'll have something to say to me. And we understand that, that these things end up becoming the last resort rather than the first resort. And the reason that's the case is because we are relying on our own strength and we do it time and time and time again. I do. You do. It is our tendency the sinful pattern of our heart is to want to do things in our own strength and to put God in a box, to put him in our nice little cute pocket and pull him out when we finally need him. God is much easier to contend with when we keep him safely tucked away in the pocket of last resort. I can manage a God like that. But unfortunately... A God that exists on our terms is actually no God at all. We're pretending to think that we have a God that we worship and serve. When in reality, he's just a God in a genie. He's the, he's the genie in the bottle rather than the God of the scriptures. What does David say? He says that the Lord is my Shepherd. In Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah says that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When David describes God as a shepherd, eventually this term is going to help provide you with a lot of peace and a lot of grace for an anxious and heavy heart. But understand, before we get to that, you need to understand the significance of the Lord being your shepherd. When David says that the Lord is my shepherd, the direct implication then is that we are the 
sheep. Where are the sheep? I don't like that comparison. News article, Istanbul, and I quote, this is a front page article. Enter quotation marks. Hundreds of sheep followed the flock leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey today, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in a province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 sheep who survived. Shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss to local farmers was estimated at $74,000. So sheep are out grazing, doing what sheep do, okay? We don't even, who knows? They're moseying around, and the shepherds decide, you know what, this is a great time for a coffee break. Let's kind of get our tea on. Let's get our coffee on. Sounds good to me, right? And they start having breakfast. Who knows where, where, where it's at? Maybe they're, you know, they're looking through the window at the, you know, the pastures, and the sheep seem fine, sipping on some orange juice. And one sheep, the leader of the flock, gets to the edge of a cliff and decides, I'm going for it, bro. And off he goes. And what does every other sheep in the flock do? It literally just follows their leader right off the ledge. And the first 400 fall 15 meters instantly to their death, while the other 1,100 fall and hit a big fluffy pillow. (laughs) And they survive. Now this tells me something about sheep. Sheep are dumb. (laughs) Sheep are really dumb, aren't they? Don't you feel great about yourself? (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd. And yet, church, how often do we have the capacity to just be dumb over and over again? We just make a foolish decision. We do the same thing over and over again, and we expect different results. You've heard the ism. What is that the definition of? Insanity. And yet we think somehow that it's going to produce something different. We expect God to draw close to us and to have this deep relationship with him, but we go to church four times a year. We've never read the Bible. We don't get involved in a a Bible study or a life group. We're involved in nothing faith-filled or faith perspective, and yet we expect to have a close relationship with God Almighty. And then when something bad happens, we look and we say, what's your problem? Where are you? Why are you doing this to me? Not understanding many times, what, is the, what does Proverbs 19 say? A fool rages, a fool's heart rages against the Lord, but it's his own choices that are destroying his life. That one will, that'll hurt you. Sheep aren't very smart. They have a propensity to kind of throw themselves off the cliff. 
They're stubborn. They don't learn from their mistakes. But to make matters worse, sheep are defenseless. Think of all the animals that exist in the world, even a cat. I mean, if you love cats, we're going to have a special, you know, just some time of ministry for you after church. And, you know, but cats can defend themselves. They've got claws. Dogs can defend themselves. The most basic primitive animals have a way or a means of either having super speed and they can run or they can dig or they can jump or they can get away. Sheep can't. Sheep can't do anything. They just exist. They just sit there. And if a predator comes, they're in big trouble. Sheep are defenseless. They need a shepherd. You know what else sheep are not? They're not intimidating. I want them to be. I want... How many times have you seen a sports team or a mascot that's like the mighty, mighty sheep. You know, there's a ram. Now, a ram's got some toughness to it, but a sheep? No, it doesn't. It does not invoke fear in the hearts of, of your competition. It doesn't intimidate. It doesn't, it, it doesn't speak to any of these things and invoke this sense of strength. And you, hear me, church. I know what I'm saying to you right now is not something that we like because in many ways what we're describing now is a weak picture of who we are. But I want you to understand that when Paul says that I am weak and when I'm weak, you, my God, are strong. He is resting in the victory that Jesus has won for him. He is not operating in his own strength because he self-admittedly does not have any. His best day is nothing compared to God's just breath moving and working in his life. We need a gospel of inadequacy preached to us to remind us that we are a people that are in desperate need for the Lord to be our shepherd. See, for me, when I read Psalm 23, and I really take a minute and I consider who's writing it, we're talking about David. David, who understood because he was a shepherd, the shepherd boy, if there's anyone who understood what the life of a shepherd looked like, it was David. So when he uses these words and he's describing God as our shepherd, understand he, under, he, he gets the, the description and the comparison better than anyone. And yet, here I am thinking, man, as someone who's reading this, couldn't David have, you know, David, couldn't he have used a reference that would have invoked strength inside of me? That would have filled me with hope and power. This is David, the one who slayed Goliath. This is David, the, the warrior poet who would become king. This is David, the one who would lead mighty men. And they would accomplish incredible feats. The Lord is my warrior. The Lord is my 
rock. The Lord is mine. He uses these descriptions in other psalms, but right here, oh, he's reminding us of something. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. You know that sheep are afraid of running water? Running water scares sheep, and the shepherd has to lead them slowly to water that is running because they're so skittish. Such anxiety-filled animals. Amazing thing about sheep is that when, when their wool grows out a little bit and they get knocked over, they have a very difficult time getting up. And they have to be helped back up on their feet like a turtle, you know, that's just stuck on its shell. The Lord is my shepherd. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, guess what? All shepherds. The imagery isn't unique to only the scriptures, though, because King Hammurabi of Babylon, guess what he described himself as as well? He says that, that I am the shepherd of my people. Homer, the one who would write the Odyssey, the writer of antiquity, described the Greeks tribal, the Greek tribal chiefs as shepherds. And in Egypt, one of the symbols of kingship was a shepherd's crook. And many historians believe the very idea of a royal scepter that kings would hold out to enter, allow people to enter into their presence became what it became due to the shepherd's staff. The Lord is my shepherd. He is the one who guides me. He is the one who leads me. He is the one who brings me to safe pasture. He is the one who restores me. He is the one who brings me to places where I can drink of water. He is the one who anoints my head with oil in the presence of my enemies. He is the one who is in charge. The Lord is my shepherd. Matthew 9 says that, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But you, Bethlehem, Matthew 2, verse 6, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And yet we, like sheep, having gone astray, each of us, do we not tend to turn to our own way? You know what I need? I need my great shepherd to shepherd me, to lead me, to govern me, to be my king, to be my great shepherd. This past week, my wife Amy was out of town for for a day or two, and you know, I had, somebody came over to watch my kids for a couple hours, and I found myself in a very unique position. I wasn't working, 
but Amy wasn't with me. And I was in my car driving around with nothing to do for like an hour and a half. And it was genuinely, uh, it, was fr- it was like free donut day at Dunkin' Donuts. So I went to Dunkin' Donuts, obviously. Like, what up? <laughs> got a free donut, got some coffee. And I'm literally just moseying around with nothing to do. And it's amazing what happens when your heart just has time to rest. David writes it this way. He says, God, examine my heart that you might, my paraphrase, look and find if there's anything that displeases you. And I found myself driving around and I stopped at a store and again, I have nothing to do. I'm eating a donut and drinking coffee and, you know, I'm looking at things and, I, and out of nowhere, I, I think to myself, you know what I should do? I should just buy that. I'm not joking. It wasn't something expensive. But I all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I just felt this desire to spend money. And so I literally have a couple of things in my arms, and they're things that I don't need. Didn't need it at all. And I'm getting close to the checkout, and I feel the Holy Spirit saying, what are you doing? What are you doing, Andy? I'm like, don't talk to me right now. <laughs> okay? Will you, leave, will you leave me alone? I, I have you in my pocket right now. I don't need you to shepherd me in this moment, oh, Lord. Oh, but I did. Because like you, the tendency of my heart, if I'm not careful, if my eyes are not on my shepherd, if my ears are not listening to his voice, is that I will do anything to try to pacify the restlessness of my heart. And you will too. You will do anything you can to try to bring peace that only your great shepherd can provide you. Only he can bring you to the streams where the water is resting and it's pure and it's clean. Only he can satisfy the longings in your heart. Only he can bring you to where the grass is green and settle you down so that you can have a nice full meal. See, what we like to do is we like to take matters into our own hand. Hey, thank you. Got it from here. I'll be my own shepherd now. And so we pour ourselves into relationships thinking this will pacify the longing in my heart. I pour myself into materialism and buying things and getting things thinking if I just have a little bit more, I will feel so great. And this is what we do. We do. It doesn't matter if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you're hearing the gospel for the first time, that Jesus Christ is the risen King of kings, your great shepherd, and that he calls all of us to bow our knee and follow him. Even if you have done that, there is a propensity for you to have a heart that drifts. And you know what you need? You need a good and great shepherd to shepherd you. There's a post as I begin to wrap this up. In fact, uh, Mark, you can come up. It's a post that I see on social media a lot, and I get it. I, I understand why it's posted, but I want to I break it down for you today. Because 
one of the things that we have to be able to do as we're reading the scriptures and applying the truth to our life is we want to then be able to take this word and now look at the world through it and identify that which is not true. And one of the more popular posts that, that I see that pops up on Instagram or on Facebook is this post, and it comes from a place of someone that's been through something hard, and I get it. It's a post that says, you are enough. And it sounds good. We want it to be true. And the reality is when you've had something that's hurtful or painful happen to you, you need a moment, right? You're looking for something to pour your, your life into, to, to hook your heart onto, to give you some validation, to give you a little boost to help you out. But I have bad news for you. We are not enough. You and I do not have what it takes i need a great shepherd to shepherd my heart to guide me and to lead me and to speak truth to me and to take care of me see when when we are enough you have to be enough that means that you have to carry around this bag because it's on you to make sure that your crooked path gets made straight. It's up to you to get through the day. It's up to you to make your relationships better or your relationships right. It's up to you in your own strength and in your own power and in your own muscles and in, the, in your own experience. It's up to you to get everything worked out and working properly. And this is a really big job. Carry this around. The baggage of self-reliance. When what you really need is to drop that thing and come face to face with a God who will shepherd you. Who will lead you. Who will help you in your time of need. But you've got to stop trying to do it in your own strength. You've got to stop trying to muscle your way through fixing that relationship. And you need to just start by saying, God, you're the God of my life. Would you please forgive me? You go and you repent and you forgive, not in your strength, but in God's strength. And you make things right. Not because of what you've got going on, because of what God is working inside you. And you let him guide you and you let him lead you and you let him bring you peace. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, for his sheep. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Do you know your shepherd? 
hear his voice? Is he leading you? Is he in control? You're following his direction in your life. Father, I thank you right now that you are, you are good to us. You are the God that leads us, the God that guides us. You are the God that restores us, that holds our hand through times of great pain and difficulty. You are the God who has never abandoned us. You are not the shepherd, Lord, who leaves the flock to go have breakfast for you are the God who is with us at all times you have never abandoned us and yet many times Lord like a sheep wandering away from the flock we choose our own path and our own course out of the drifting of our heart and this morning we are reminded that you are the good shepherd would you be that shepherd in our lives you're sitting here this morning and you know this is you. You're saying, that's me. I, I, I've drifted. I've, my, my heart has, has gone other places. I've been looking to fill this hole with other things. This is your moment. Say, God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you care for me. I thank you for sending your son Jesus for me. Jesus, thank you for being my good shepherd. This morning, I choose to follow you with all of my heart, all of my strength. I give you everything today. Be my good shepherd.
have a feeling there's probably some ministry that's happening with some of you this morning, and that's good. That's a good thing. And what I'm asking you to do now is to have courage to not just keep it to yourself, but to do something with it. Come down front and be available for prayer. Talk to somebody at guest services. I realize you may not even know them, but if you need prayer, if you need a moment, don't don't let it slip. Don't let it go by. This is a beautiful moment for you to start following God, start taking those next steps in Him. Stand to your feet. It's a great day to worship God together, church. Even as you leave here today, let your ears be attentive to hear the voice of God speaking to you. I didn't give you the end of my story, but I took all that stuff back and put it all back on the shelves. I didn't buy anything because I felt the Holy Spirit saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? What are you trying to feel right now? Go get in your car and turn on some worship music. Oh, okay, all right, I, yes, Lord, I will. That's exactly what I did. Sip my coffee, drove around and just worship God in my car. Some of you might need the same. Listen to his voice. Listen today. Amen. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Help us to hear your voice, O oh Lord, and to be led by our great shepherd, Jesus.